Well, welcome once again to uh, Cross Point Church. We're glad to see you this morning. Uh, we've been in a series called Closer. We are talking about what it means to be closer to God. And we've been in this series for a couple of weeks now. We started it on New Year's Day, actually. Um, growing up, I, I had a really good friend, and uh, he... He and I became real close uh, in middle school, actually, and, and we still keep in s- sort of contact today a little bit. But uh, when he was in, sometime in elementary school, his parents got divorced. And I didn't meet him until about seventh grade. But he would talk about his dad all the time. His dad was never around. His dad actually moved down to Texas, and, and he, lived, he lived up here in the Milwaukee area. Um, sometime after the divorce, his dad decided to move down to Texas. But he would talk about his dad all the time. And he, he, he loved his dad. He looked up to his dad. He respected his dad. Uh, he wanted to be like his dad. He, he talked about his dad as if he was a, a sort of larger than life. You know, he was, he was a, a big, strong, manly man. He was successful. And he wanted to be like his dad. And he would talk about his dad a lot. But it made me sad for him because I knew he really didn't have a relationship with his dad, any kind of relationship with his dad. But I knew he wanted to. I knew that he wanted more than anything else to have a relationship with his dad. And I also knew that his dad didn't really want a relationship with him because if he did, he wouldn't be living in Texas. I mean, he saw his dad a couple times a year. He would get to go down and see his dad for a week or a week maybe, or maybe two weeks over the summer. And that would be about it. And this went on all the way through high school and into college. And eventually, uh, my friend ended up getting married and having kids of his own. And, and he moved down to Texas to be near his dad. And he began working alongside his dad. And, um, and it went okay for a while, but it didn't really work out the way he wanted to. And ultimately, the reason was that he really wanted to be close with his dad, but his dad didn't want the same thing. And my friend, unfortunately, got a divorce too. And now he has that same kind of relationship with his own son. It's one of the saddest stories. And um, the reason I tell you that is because we've been talking about how hard it is or how hard it can be when you want to get closer to someone, but they don't want the same thing. Have you experienced that in your life? I mean, some of you have experienced something similar with your own mother or father. You've lived that. And you know how painful it is. Some of you have experienced that with a friend or maybe even with a spouse. But can we experience that with God? Can we experience, you know, wanting to be closer to God, but God not wanting to be closer to us? Listen, the good news, the good news is that we can't. The good news is that God experiences that with us. God is the one who wants to be closer. God is the one who wants to go deeper with us. God is the one who constantly seeking us out and we're the ones who are content keeping God at a distance did you know that that's that's what's that's what's true and 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 that's good news for us God isn't the problem we are the problem and so something has to change right something has got to change and we've been talking about what it means to get closer to God and some of the obstacles that stand in our way. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about indifference and how indifference towards God keeps us at a distance from God and, the, and it keeps us from drawing near to God. 
And the answer to indifference from the mouth of Jesus as he was speaking in the Revelation chapter 3 to the different churches, he said, be zealous and repent. That's, that's the answer to indifference. Is we need to be passionate and, and filled with some kind of urgency and, and zeal for God and repent of our sin and turn towards God and realize that God is the best thing that we have in this life. And there's no greater desire that we could possibly have than to be closer to our Father God. Last week, the obstacle we talked about was busyness. Busyness gets in the way of us getting deeper in our relationship with God. And we consider the, the hectic, crazy, busy life of Jesus and how the busier he got, the more determined Jesus was to spend long periods of time in solitude, in prayer, alone with God. The answer to busyness is solitude with God. And if you were here last week, you remember that I challenged you to start getting up early while it's still dark like Jesus did to spend time seeking God. And, and there's, 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 I don't think there's anything, there's no better habit that we can start than, than setting aside a, a time in our morning before the day even starts, before we have contact with anybody else, to set time aside to spend with our Heavenly Father. And so today we're going to look at another big obstacle that keeps people from getting closer to God, and that obstacle is guilt. Today we're going to talk a little bit about guilt and how guilt keeps us from getting closer in our relationship with God. Now, I probably don't have to tell you this, but we probably should spend some time talking about what guilt actually is. In Psalm chapter 51, uh, this is a famous psalm written by uh, King David after he had sinned. With Bathsheba and his sin was exposed, he writes this in Psalm 51 3 For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Now, David there is talking about guilt. That's what he's talking about. He feels the weight of guilt. He says, My sin is always before me. I can't not see it. It's always right there in front of me. Wherever I go, there it is. And, and we tend to think about guilt as a feeling, as an emotion. Like when you feel bad for doing something you know you shouldn't have done. Even small children can understand what this is like. Right? Even dogs understand this, right? <laughs> dogs look guilty after they've done something. This is a basic, this is a basic uh, experience that we all go through in life. But the Bible talks less about guilt as an emotion and more about guilt as a kind of knowledge or awareness. It's a kind of knowledge or awareness. Guilt can lead to all kinds of emotions, of course, like stress and anxiety and fear and shame. Guilt causes those types of things, but guilt itself is basically knowing that you've sinned against God and against someone else. That's what guilt really is. Let me show you how this works. Let's say that there's a young man in the church, and he struggles with lust. Okay? He knows it's wrong, and he's confessed it in prayer a hundred times, maybe more. But he just can't seem to break this habit. Now, every time he's given over to lust, he feels bad, he feels guilty, but he always goes to God and he confesses it and he tells God he's sorry. And he feels a little better after he does that, but the more he lusts, the less guilt he feels. And no matter how many times he confesses his sin to God, he can't seem to stop lusting. So he just goes on with his life thinking he'll eventually stop lusting when he gets a wife or becomes a stronger Christian or, you know, whatever. And then after a while, someone comes to him, someone in the church, and, 
And they say, hey, would you like to, to come volunteer in our Awana program and, and, and tell, tell kids about Jesus? And he says, well, let me think about it and pray about it, and I'll get back to you. And so he goes home, and he starts thinking about it, and he prays about it. And he eventually decides that this opportunity to serve kids is from God. Because, I mean, why would the enemy want me to tell little kids about Jesus, right? So he decides that he'll serve in Awana because he knows God, or he knows that he owes God anyway. He owes God for all the bad things he's done. And since he's been lusting for so long, he'd better do something good for God. And that somehow God will use this opportunity to deliver him from a sin that no one else even knows about, and his guilt will go away. So he serves in Awana. He begins serving and, and, and loving kids and you know, teaching them the Bible. And, but the frustrating thing is that he can't stop sinning. He can't stop, he can't break this spiritual stronghold. And now he just carries the guilt with him to Awana because he sees all these kids who need Jesus, but he can't really lead them to Jesus because he can't repent of his own sin. And he is motivated to serve by guilt. Did you catch that? That's why he's serving. He's serving because of guilt, not because of love. And his desire to serve quickly fades away because guilt as a motive never lasts. Only love does. And the reason he doesn't even enjoy serving anymore is because guilt, which is associated with his sin, is weighing him down. And that brings us to the other thing, another thing that guilt is. Guilt is a burden. It's like a weight. It weighs us down. Again, uh, David wrote again in Psalm 38. He said, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. And it feels too heavy to bear because you weren't meant to carry it. That's why it feels that way. And the truth is that because guilt is a weight, it's a burden, it goes wherever you go. You can't like, you know, walk into a room and check your guilt at the door and then, you know, walk out of the room and pick it back up again. It goes wherever you go. Because it's a weight, and it's like a weight on your back. It's weighing you down. It's slowly crushing you. And there's nothing you can do. It'll always be there until you give it to someone else. That's how it works. It's almost like if you think about someone who, who, um, who exercises or they run, and maybe they use ankle weights to build up their leg strength and their muscles and stuff like that. Well, someone who runs with ankle weights, they, after a while, they don't even remember that they have the weights on. They're, they adapt. They adjust to it. They get used to it. They get used to running with the weight, and it almost feels like they're not even wearing the ankle weights after a while, after they've done it for so long or ran such a distance. But once they take the weights off, guess what? They're faster. They're stronger. They're more quick. I mean, all of their physical abilities are, are heightened because they've taken the weight off. And guilt kind of works the same way. Once it's removed, once that weight is taken off, your spiritual abilities are heightened. Your spiritual awareness is sharpened. You're able to hear from God in new ways. You're able to love in new ways. You're able to, you're able to encourage other people in ways you couldn't before. You're able to do things spiritually that you never could before once that weight is removed. It's like a spiritual awakening, really. So guilt, it's the knowledge of our sin and it weighs us down. But there's something else about guilt that you need to know. Guilt is a debt. It works like a debt. And what I mean is that when you sin against someone, you 
suddenly are in debt to that person. You owe them. And you feel like you owe them. If you sin against someone, then it's almost like any time you see them after you've sinned against them, you feel like, I owe you. You might feel, that's why we say, I owe you an apology. That's why we use that language, because that's kind of how it feels. We've taken something from them. If I, for example, if I talk about you behind your back, I've taken your reputation from you. If I lie to you, I've taken the truth away from you. If God lays on my heart to give you something or to do something good for you, and I decide not to, I've taken a blessing away from you. And when all is said and done, I've actually taken the relationship away. I've robbed you of a deeper relationship with me. And I've robbed myself of the same thing. Because as soon as I lie to you, or as soon as I gossip about you, or keep something good from you, the relationship stops growing. We no longer can get any closer because of the guilt. There's guilt that stands, that stands between us. And whatever was taken has to be returned and restored until the relationship can begin to grow again. That's how guilt works. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You used to have a good relationship with a person, but then something happened. They took something from you, or you took something from them. They sinned against you, or you sinned against them, and it was never dealt with. It was never brought out into the open. And the relationship has never been the same. Why? Because someone is holding on to a weight or a burden they were never meant to carry. Someone's holding on to guilt. It was never dealt with. Now, we're just scratching the surface. There are, there are so many ways that guilt robs us. There's so many ways that guilt hurts us. But probably the most dangerous thing about guilt is that it lives in our hearts. And according to God, our hearts is where our heart is where our life comes from. There's this uh, great verse in the book of Proverbs. It's in Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23. You've probably heard this before. We've talked about this verse quite a lot actually at our church. It, and this is what the, the writer said, above all else. In other words, make this one of your number one priorities in life. Above everything else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. In other words, all of your life is lived from whatever is in your heart. Jesus talked about this as well. In uh, the book of Job, verses uh, chapter 31, 33, Job said this about guilt. If I have concealed my sin as men do by hiding guilt in my heart because I so feared the crowd and so dreaded the contempt of the clans that I kept silent and didn't go outside. Here's a man who had sin in his heart or, or he's thinking maybe I do have sin in my heart. Maybe I don't. But if I do and I've hidden it, that's a bad thing. So what the point is, is guilt lives in your heart, which according to God is the source of your life. In other words, all of your choices, all of your words, all of your attitudes, all of your behaviors and habits, the way you relate to people, all of it comes from your heart, from your innermost being. And that is where guilt lives. And if this is true, then guilt affects every relationship you have. It affects the way you parent, it affects the way you work, it affects the way you lead, it affects the way you love, it affects the way you give and how much you give, it affects 
every part of your life. Guilt can seep into every area of your life and you won't even see it, especially if you've been carrying it around for a long time. Because we've learned, we learn, we learn to suppress it, to push it down, and to, and to, to just carry the weight. We've gotten, we get used to it. In Proverbs 20, Solomon talked about the heart in another way. He said, the purposes of a man's heart are deep waters. Deep waters. And it, it got me thinking about deep water. And if you have a swimming pool, and you know, a lot of people with swimming pools, they just clean the surface. They just clean what's at the surface. They take one of those little nets and they go around and they clean the surface. But they, the truth is a lot of the scum and bacteria that's in your swimming pool lives at the bottom of the pool. That's why they give you those vacuum cleaner things with the hose that comes out and everything. It reminded me of a time, and this is going to be a little bit of a crude illustration, but I think it makes the point. A couple years ago, my family was at a water park. with uh, We were there with uh, our extended family and Vicky's extended family. And all our kids, there was this... There's these slides, all these slides that kind of came down into a really big pool. And apparently some kid left something in the bottom of the pool that should have been left at the bottom of something in the bathroom. And someone discovered it. And everyone's like getting out. I mean, it was like there was a shark in the pool. Everyone's like climbing out of the pool, getting out of there. They shut the whole thing down. They shut all the slides down. They put like crime scene tape around the whole thing. Because nobody wants to swim in that. And um, I, I, I couldn't, I've got to tell you this part of the story too. After some questioning, we discovered that it was one of our kids. It was a bloom that left that surprise for everybody. And they shut the whole thing down. They, we just went back up to the hotel room and we were like, man, who does that? But listen, listen, I, I tell you that because nobody wants to swim in that. The thing was the size of like a half a banana. You know, and the pool's like, you know, a 10 million gallons, but nobody wants to swim in that. And I'm telling you that guilt is just like that. It's just like that. It lives at the bottom of your heart. And it slowly makes its way to the surface. And until you give that to somebody else, until that's removed, you're swimming in it. You're living in it. It's, it's causing, it's, it's affecting every area of your life. That's how it works. And so the question we have to ask is, what can we do to be free of this terrible burden called guilt so that we can get closer to God? What can we do? And the answer, my friends, just like just about every single week, the answer is so simple, but it's one of the hardest things you have to do. It's one of the hardest things you'll ever have to do. The answer is confession. Confession lifts the burden of guilt. And brings us closer to the presence of God. That's what confession does for us. In the book of Numbers, in the Old Testament, chapter 5, the Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, When a man or woman wrongs another in any way and is so unfaithful to the Lord, that person is guilty and must confess the sin he's committed publicly. That's, in, that's implied there. He must make full restitution for his wrong, add on a fifth to it, and give it all to the person he's wronged. This is, this is God's law. This is God's prescribed method of dealing with guilt in a person's heart. In Proverbs 28:13, Solomon said, He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them 
finds mercy. So right about now, you may be thinking, okay, Dave, I, I get it. If I want to get rid of my guilt once and for all, I need to confess it to the person I sinned against and, and restore what was lost. That's what restitution is. It means restoring what was lost. It's giving back what you took. And then some, with interest. But restitution is an Old Testament thing, right? That was in the law. Since Jesus died and rose again, we just have to confess our sins to God and he takes care of it, right? Well, do you remember how Jesus treated the Mosaic law in his Sermon on the Mount? Uh, many of you do, I'm sure. In, in his famous Sermon on the Mount, Jesus interpreted the law for us. And he did not make God's law easier to keep. He made it more difficult. He said things like, you've heard it was said, do not murder. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. He said, uh, you've heard it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now imagine that Jesus talked about guilt and confession during the Sermon on the Mount. Can you, can you see him saying something like this? You've heard it was said, when a person wrongs another person, they're guilty and they must confess the sin and make full restitution and add on a fifth and all that. But I tell you, when a man or woman sins against another person, they just need to confess it to God and everything will be okay. I really don't think that's what Jesus would have said. That doesn't even make sense. How does that, how does that remove your guilt? Have any of you experienced that? Have any of you experienced deep, lasting change from just confessing your sin to God? There's actually someone in the New Testament who got it right. His name was Zacchaeus. And most of you know the story of Zacchaeus. Jesus was walking along the road one day, and there was this uh, man of small stature. He was, he was short, and he couldn't see Jesus, so he climbed up a sycamore tree. He caught a glimpse of Jesus. Jesus saw him, and this was a, he was, Zacchaeus was a very wicked man. He was a tax collector. He'd been robbing people most of his life. And Jesus saw Zacchaeus, and he stopped, and he called, he called to Zacchaeus. He said, I'm coming to your house, and Zacchaeus welcomed him into his house, and Zacchaeus trusted Christ. He trusted Jesus for forgiveness that day. It's an amazing story. And this is what Zacchaeus said to Jesus in Luke chapter 19. Look, Lord. Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to Zacchaeus, oh, no, no, you don't have to do that. Just confess your sin to God and it'll be all taken care of. Actually, what Jesus said was, today salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. So when Zacchaeus offers to make right what he had taken from people, Jesus says that his desire to confess his sin and make it right is evidence of salvation. I have an uncle who um, is a missionary in Brazil. He's been there over 30 years. And when he was a teenager, he would go around with his friends and they would rob people's homes. He did this for years. But then Jesus Christ came into his life. And it completely turned his life around. And when God rescued my Uncle Wilson, he did something radical. He decided to go around 
to every house he'd ever robbed and say this. He said, my name is Wilson Cannonberg, and I've robbed you so many times, five times, six times, seven times. But I just began following Jesus, and I'm here to ask for your forgiveness. And you can do with me whatever you want. I have no money to pay you back, but I am your servant. I'll do whatever I can to make it right. And Wilson told me that every single person forgave him except the last house he went to. The man said he wanted Wilson to pay back what he owed, so Wilson had to work for a while to pay off his debt. But when he finished paying off the debt, when he went back, when he was leaving that man's house and walking back towards his bike, he said he had goosebumps from the overwhelming sense of freedom and forgiveness that God gave him just through confessing his sin. And the forgiveness he received from other people changed his life. Changed his life forever. If he hadn't done that, he would probably still be carrying that guilt around with him 30 years later. Or, or longer, actually. Now, I want to tell you why confession is so important. There's a couple of reasons. First of all, confession frees us from fear and it brings us closer to God. You remember what Job said? He said, if I've concealed my sin as men do, by hiding my guilt because I feared the crowd. He feared that guilt causes us to fear. It, creates, it causes us to fear other people and maybe even God in a very unhealthy way. And for many people, the one thing standing between them and a clear conscience is fear. Fear of exposure, fear of embarrassment, fear of pain and loss, fear of the consequences. Some of you are terrified that if you confess your sin or you confess your guilt that God's going to discipline you and it'll hurt. I, I remember as a child, when my dad was away at work, I would often do bad things. Imagine that. <laughs> and my mom, as I got older, you know, my parents gave me spankings and that was good for me, and I guess. And, but my mom's spankings just became more and more laughable as I got older. And so eventually, my mom realized that she couldn't really spank me effectively, and so she would stop. She stopped doing that, and she would say, instead, uh, David, when your father gets home, he's going to give you a spanking. And that was way worse, believe me, because my dad's spankings always hurt, always. And uh, as soon as my soul, sure enough, as soon as my dad would get home, David was nowhere to be found. <laughs> and we lived on this little quarter-acre lot in Milwaukee, and so my, it didn't take me take long, but my dad would always find me. Hiding under the bushes, hiding under a bed, hiding somewhere. My dad would always find me. And he would sit me down. And we'd have a talk. And then he would spank me. And then you know what? Everything was fine. I felt so much better. From the time that I picked up that guilt, from the time I felt guilty to the time my dad got home, I was miserable. But as soon as that discipline came, I was so much better. I was happy again. I was restored in my relationship with my dad. I didn't have that fear anymore. The closeness was, was restored. And I began to change. And it's kind of like that with us and God, you know? Discipline is painful, yes. But it's for our good. It always leads to change. Nothing good comes from hiding. Listen, the enemy wants you to hide. He wants us to hide. He wants us to be afraid. But the enemy is guilty. Our enemy is guilty. Guilt is all he knows. He deals in the currency of guilt and he loves, he loves it when we hang on to our guilt. Because he knows 
that if we carry guilt around, it's going to keep us from getting close to our Father God. So he convinces us that it's better to keep quiet than to confess. Confession also leads to change. And that's really important because somewhere along the way, we started thinking that confession is just about us feeling better. You know, I mean, that's why, that's why we just confess to God. And we convince ourselves that by confessing to God, we'll be off the hook for our guilt. And it actually sort of worked. Right? We feel better for a while. The problem is that just confessing your sin to God doesn't really lead to change. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that sometimes there's sin in your life and you confess it to God and then you do it again? And you confess it to God and you do it again and there's this cycle that just keeps going around and around and around and around. Why is that? It's probably because of guilt. It's probably because God isn't the only one being affected by your sin. And that's why confession and restitution goes together. Go together. God knows that if we're in the habit of confessing to one another, change is going to come. And if you don't believe me, just think about someone who sinned against you. Think about someone who sinned against you for a minute. What if that person came to you in sincere humility and they confessed their sin and they offered to make it right and they're genuinely miserable for what they've done and they're willing to do whatever it takes to make it right? Whatever, they're willing to do whatever it takes to restore what's been lost. Wouldn't you, what would you do? Send them away? Punish them? No, I don't think so. Not if you're following Jesus. You would be, you would be broken over that. You would be changed by that. You would feel compassion for them. You would forgive them. You would forgive them. You would give them something they don't even deserve. Confession changes us, and it changes other people. And, and the last thing confession does is it, it places the burden of our sin onto Jesus, where it belongs. It gives Jesus glory when we confess our sin to other people. In 1 Peter chapter 3, 8, verse 18, the Apostle Peter said, this is an amazing verse. I want you to take this in. He said, For Christ died for sins once for all. To br- I, skipped, I skipped to the good part. The, the righteous for the unrighteous. That's really good too. To bring you to God. Okay? Jesus died for you once for all to bring us closer to God. To bring us into God's presence. And what that means is that when we confess our sin to the person we've wronged, it takes the burden of guilt off of us and it places it onto Jesus through whom God promises forgiveness. The righteous for the unrighteous. If we hang on to our guilt, we are dying for our sin. We are dealing with it. We are trying to cover, we are trying to become righteous on our own. We are carrying the burden. And the reason we don't confess is because we believe that we are condemned. We believe that we're not forgiven. We have stopped believing the gospel. When it comes down to it, there's only one person who can take away your guilt, and that's Jesus. And he does it by grace through faith. You have to trust him in order to confess, but you won't 
In fact, you can't confess your sin to other people from a hard heart of unbelief. You will never be able to do it. You have to believe the gospel. You have to believe you're forgiven. You have to believe that Jesus died for your sin once for all to make you a child of God. Your heart must be broken over your sin. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. The proof of the Holy Spirit in your life. And out of brokenness and sorrow and remorse, we confess and we're set free. We're set free. No more burden. No more shame. No more fear. No more stress and anxiety. No more looking over your shoulder wondering when is God going to get me back for all these bad things I've done. Do you want to be free from the weight of guilt today? Are you willing to endure you know, the, the pain of confession and maybe the pain of dis- discipline so that you can move on in your life a free man or woman today? Do you want a guilt-free 2017? How many of you want a guilt-free 2017? Okay, stop sinning. <laughs> Just stop sinning. No, honestly, I know you can't stop sinning, okay? But listen, if you really want a guilt-free 2017, then start keeping short accounts with God and people. When you sin against someone, you go. You go confess. Don't hang on to it. Don't hang on to it. Get rid of it as soon as possible. Don't carry your guilt around. Make confession a habit. Would you please stand? I'd like to close our service in prayer. And I want to give those of you an opportunity who, are, who have guilt in your heart. Those of you who heard this message this morning and you feel like there's something you need to confess to someone, I want to give you an opportunity to prepare for that. And so let's bow our heads and close our eyes. No one looking around. And I just want to ask, I just want to ask in all honesty, if, if there's, is there anyone here this morning who needs to confess to someone they've wronged? I just want to be able to pray for you and, and walk you through that. Would you please raise your hand if that's true of you this morning? Thank you so much for your honesty. And for those of you who didn't raise your hand, I, I, I'm going to say a prayer, and I would like you to, to pray along with me. Our Father God, we come to you this morning in the name of Jesus. And we believe, God, with all our hearts that Jesus Christ died for our sin once for all the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us into your presence. And God, we don't want guilt to stand between us and you any longer. So we make it, we, we, we resolve today that we will confess our sin to the people we've wronged and we will receive your forgiveness, God, and we will make it right as far as it depends on us so that we can give Jesus the glory he deserves so that we can experience your presence in our lives, God, so that you can begin to use us again, so that you can speak to us, so that we can hear you and follow you and obey you and know you and be free. God, your word says that it is for freedom that Jesus has set us free. And guilt guilt weighs us down, God. Please, Father, help us. To have the strength and the courage to, and the will to confess our sin. To trust you that you have forgiven us already. And that you will take care of us 
Not to worry about how that other person is going to respond or what they'll do or what might happen to us, but simply to trust you and obey, Father. And may you purify us, God. May you wipe the guilt away and take the weight off and bring us near to you. Because that's what we're made for. We're not made to carry around guilt. We're made for your presence, Father. We're made for your presence. There's nothing better in this life than to be in your presence, God. David said that there's one thing he asks, one thing he desires more than anything else, and that is to that is to be in your presence, God, to look at you and to simply be with you. God, may that be our prayer today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.